Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Of course, today our our hearts and prayers really remain with the people of Ukraine right now. And Lauren, I don't know about you, but I feel like I keep thinking that, like, what can I do? Because, of course, our our prayers are powerful. Mm -hmm. There's no but after that. I think there's there's just like this desire to like, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. What can I do? Um, so I did a little research and I found a few different nonprofits that are actually, they're sending support, they're on the ground. So I'm going to give you all a few different names. If, if you're one of those people that's like, man, I wish I could hop on a plane right now and go to Ukraine, but obviously, you know, you can't. <laughs> Lauren and I Probably, may or may not yeah. have talked about that. <laughs> Problematic women war edition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think our bosses would approve of that. <laughs> Uh, but these organizations, they are over there. They're sending support. So Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, Operation Blessing, the Fellowship of Christians and Jews, they are all groups that are doing phenomenal work. We trust them. If you want to be sending your support to the people of Ukraine, I really encourage you to check out these awesome organizations. I'll put links to them in the show notes. But um, really, it's like, you know, you turn on the news right now and it's just Ukraine. Yeah. And it's hard just not to think about all the time because it's... Nothing like this has really happened in our lifetime. It's true. Yeah, it's a really historic moment. But I I am really excited for the conversation that we're sharing with you all today. While we were down at the Conservative Political Action Conference down in Orlando, Florida, I had a chance to catch up with Sharice Trump. She's the executive director of an organization called Speech First. And everything that they do is about protecting students' right to free speech, that First Amendment basic right, which is so commonly under attack on college campuses. So they've actually just filed a lawsuit against the University of Houston over a policy um, that that university has put in place that really concerns them, that uh, really flies directly in the face of our First Amendment right to free speech. So she breaks down this lawsuit, but also just practically, like, what can we do Mm. as young people to be standing up on our college campuses for free speech? So let's get into it. Free speech is under attack on college campuses. And so today I am so excited, Sharice, that you are here with us. Sharice Trump is the executive director of Speech First, as well as the host of the Well Said podcast. Sharice, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so there's been some big news recently. Speech First has actually um, filed a lawsuit yes. against the University of Houston mm-hmm. on a matter of free speech. The mm-hmm. University of Houston. Yeah passed a policy that you all looked at and said, wait a second, this violates First Amendment right of free speech. Tell me what exactly is going on here and yeah. why Why did Speech First want to get involved? Yeah, just to give some background, you know, we're a membership organization that litigates on behalf of our members against universities that violate our student members' free speech rights. Yeah. So in saying that, our members brought this policy to our attention. It's been active on the campus for a while. We don't know how long. But I can tell you, when you read it, it's pretty appalling. It flies directly in the face of the First Amendment. It is under their harassment Title IX policy, actually, on the campus. And what's interesting is a lot of universities do this. They'll put speech restrictions or speech codes on their harassment policies specifically so that they can curtail whatever speech and control it on campus but 
they get the, the disciplinary arm that comes along with the harassment policy. So they can actually enforce whatever they want to do with speech, which is, which is, you know, as a student, it's terrifying. Yeah. The idea of being accused of, you know, being accused of harassment and having to get processed through the Title IX uh, office just because you said a joke that someone didn't like or you offended someone with something that you said or you maybe made a stereotype, like a comment about stereotypes. Yeah. This is what this university has set itself up for and that students are afraid to be reported because of this. Wow. So give us an example. Like what what would be a potential um, violation of this right. policy? The fascinating thing is, you know, the University of Houston is actually pretty transparent on their website. They okay. actually give examples of what they okay. consider to be, which is why we found it so appalling because, you know, they gave, they gave examples of dead integrating jokes, of stereotyping, microaggressions um, against, you know, protected class. And they, they merge it with a lot of this diversity, equity, inclusion language that you see oftentimes on university campuses these days. And so what ends up happening is the students think that this is something they can't, they can't escape. Um, and, you know, we've seen our past cases have covered a lot of issues under bias response teams. That's, those are anonymous reporting systems where students can actually report on one another for speech against each other and, you know, or something they see on social media. Houston actually doesn't have a bias response team, but their harassment policy essentially does the same thing, where students are afraid that they're going to be reported for having any kind of mainstream opinion. They can have an opinion that someone might just find offensive enough to report them to the harassment office. And a lot of this sounds like it's probably up for interpretation, because something that I might find offensive, you might not, right? Absolutely. And this is honestly why the Supreme Court has upheld that hate speech is actually protected speech under the First Amendment. Um, It's not that we encourage hate speech or anything like that, or encourage harassment. We just think that the policies that are going to be on these campuses can't violate the First Amendment rights because, like you said, it's very subjective, right? When you use these terms that upset people, offensive or hate, that that's all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. So how can how can schools actually enforce these without, you know, without actually violating the rights of the students? And there's three students, correct, that have come forward yeah. and and essentially partnered with you all or you all with them, right, on this lawsuit. Why why did those three students say? hey, you know, even though we're just college students, right. we're going to stand up and say something about this. Yeah, these students, uh, they feel like they can't express themselves on campus, that they can't even participate in mainstream debates. So, for example, if they wanted to talk about the transgender athlete issue, which is big in Texas right now because Texas just passed the recent bill, that, or there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about passing a bill on whether or not transgenders can participate in female or male sports uh, in colleges. And this is a huge item of debate. But conservatives on campus, who actually do represent a majority of conservative ideas, they they can't speak up on the issue. They don't want to participate in debates just out of fear that they'll get reported for harassment because they offend someone with their comments. Not in that, it's not that they want to go around offending people, but their their ideas might be considered offensive. Okay. So what what would you say to someone who would argue, well, it's it's the university's right to have this policy, and if students don't like it, they can just go to another university. So University of Houston is a public school. It's taxpayer funded, which means it's a public institution. They, unfortunately for them, have to follow the First Amendment. They have to follow the Constitution. They are very beholden to it because of this. Um, If you're at a private school, it's a different story. There's not as much of a legal avenue at private universities. And that's why, you know, at Speech First, we do talk to donors and alumni of the private universities to let them know how appalling some of these policies are on their campuses that they give to. Because there's not a whole lot of we can do legally, you know, for the students on those campuses. And when you think about the University of, of Houston, it's obviously, like you say, it's a public university. But when you think about the most liberal campuses in the U.S., 
University of Houston doesn't necessarily come to mind as number one. Are there a lot of other college campuses that have policies like these? Yeah, it was pretty shocking to see something like this in Texas because you would assume that yeah. Texas, okay, it's a red state, you know, it's going to, it's Love not freedom. going to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> freedom of speech would be a big deal yeah. in Texas. Um, but it, it's actually pretty widespread. We've, we've known over the years, I mean, for decades, right, that universities in general tend to lean left. They tend to go a little more progressive just by the nature of the institution and the academy and the types of students it attracts. And that's something that I think conservatives on campus have dealt with for a really long time in a really mature manner for both sides. They've been able to have open discourse and debate for years. They've been able to, you know, debate with their professors in class without being afraid. But now there's all of these policies, and it's very widespread. A lot of these policies have come into play where they're either under harassment policies or they are um, there are under biased response team policies or their computer network restrictions on like what they can send via email. Mm-hmm. And this is something that students are becoming much more aware of. They can actually meet real disciplinary action uh, in their, on their universities for, by, for just saying something that might offend someone. And this is, this is why I think it's so important to recognize how widespread this is and how insidious it is because it is hidden in the fine print of a lot of these policies. And I always encourage students, read the student handbooks, do your research on a school before you apply to go there and agree to give them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Because that's this is a huge investment for to like live a four years in fear. Yeah, <laughs> self censorship. Really though, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. what would be your advice to college students who who know? Oh yeah, my school has a policy like that, or who are thinking, I I want to I want to go to this school, but. Ugh, I don't. I don't know if I can handle right. the policies that they do have, and how do I stand up, and how do I defend yeah. freedom when I'm just, you know, trying to pass yeah. my English class. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's a really unfortunate situation for them right now. I do feel bad for current students because they. It's quite the uphill battle. They have to have the courage to to not go to some of the higher renowned schools like Ivy Lakes because these are some of the worst offenders of free speech. You know, and it's. I think that's one piece of advice I'd give to students. Do your research, look into it, and then have the courage to say no to a more prestigious institution that might make your next four years miserable. Um, and you might not actually learn anything. The other piece of advice I would do is, like, you know, universities always want you to feel like they control your environment and that they're in charge. You're an adult. You're autonomous now as a student. Keep that in mind. They are not your parents. You need to know the laws. You need to know your free speech rights. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to students who actually don't know um, they don't know what their free speech rights are and that they wouldn't recognize compelled speech. They would, if, you know, if this university said they had to say something, they wouldn't actually know or recognize that that was against their constitutional rights. And this is something, students, the onus is on you to know your rights, to know what is violation. Come to speech first. Tell us what's going on on your campus. Um, and that's something that we can help you with on the legal path. So, yeah. so if students are listening and they're yeah. saying, wow, I need resources, I don't even know what my college campus's policies are, they can come to you all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I encourage them to do the research on their campus policies, look at their harassment policies. A lot of the yeah. stuff is hidden in the DEI offices these days. Um, look, just search your school name and bias response team and see if your school has one. Now, we are publishing a report next, uh, actually, yeah, next month, and that will be on bias response teams, and we'll have a whole list of universities. We looked at over 800 schools of, uh, you know, which ones have bias response teams. But yeah, do your research, look it up online, see if your school's been in the news. College Fix and Campus Reform, and I'm sure Heritage has plenty of stuff out there that's like doing research on the universities for them, so they just have to Google it. Um, But yeah, I would say come to speech first. If you feel like there's something going on on your campus that violates your free speech rights, absolutely shoot us an email, sign up for membership, and let us know. Big scale, thinking about the future of public universities, Uh, really just universities in general, by and large, are they too far gone? Like, Can can we pull them back? That's a good question. Yeah, so... 
I'm not entirely sure if they're too far gone. There are folks out there who are trying to create solutions. They're starting their own universities. I think Barry Weiss and, and her friends are starting University of Austin, I think. Uh, and so they're trying to, you know, that are going to really represent free speech and just open dialogue and really push students to challenge themselves in that way. And there's a lot of universities that do value free speech. So I think there's enough around to where students could still get a really decent education and still um, exercise their rights. Um, but I would also say, you know, until we figure out whether or not these institutions can suffice with these bad policies or, if, you know, you know, like you said, universities are too far gone to, to rescue, we have to recognize that all of the leaders, all of the people in the corporate world, all of the folks in government and in education who are going to be teaching future students, they all have to go through these institutions to get, to get their credentials. So whether they like it or not, whether we have faith that the university system is going to survive. We need to deal with the problem now yeah. and address it now because what's happening is these, these students are graduating um, and they're graduating with a mindset of complacency. They're not choosing a side. They're not standing up for their convictions. They'd actually just rather keep their head down for four years, get the degree, get it over with. And then what, what kind of leader is that going to give us in yeah. these institutions? So Yeah. No, it is really frightening when you think about the long-term effects of all of these very, very far-left institutions, they are the ones that are training our future politicians, our future teachers. It's like, wow, okay, we right. need, we all should be concerned about this, not yeah. just the young people looking for a good college. Not to mention a lot of the research that policymakers consume and read and look at for the laws that they want to pass, that, that inform those laws that they want to pass. That all comes, a lot of that comes from the academy. Yeah. So a lot of that comes from grants in these universities. Yeah. So it's, it's important to recognize how influential universities are in our society. And like I said, whether we like it or not right now, we still need to rectify the issue with, with that they're, they're violating free speech and they're putting students in a situation where they have to either choose to keep their heads down and ignore what's going on, or they can take advantage of these tyrannical policies and actually start reporting on each other. Yeah. And that's not, a, that's not a good sign either. No. <laughs> that's not a good path for students either, I can imagine. <laughs> Well, Sharice, before we let you go, as, as a fellow podcaster, I can't let you go without letting you talk a little bit about your podcast, Well Said. Give us the pitch. Why yeah. should we listen? Thanks for that. Yeah, no. So Well Said is something that I wanted to do for a while because I wanted to have people who actually not just study free speech or higher education, but who can tie that back to the American cultural issues that we're seeing today. So I interview anyone in the higher education field, policy field, advocacy field, sometimes students, sometimes professors, um, sometimes think tankers. I've interviewed a few folks at Heritage. They're awesome. So I will say that it's, it's, it's quite the widespread of, of, of people that we bring on. But the idea is to just show how the free speech issue is pervasive and how it's going through various various fields and various institutions and, and what that will look like in the future. And the goal is obviously to dig really deep into that. Yeah. So And it comes out about twice a month. So, so fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last question. Mm -hmm. before we go. This is for our Problematic Women podcast audience. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a question that we love to ask guests on that show, and that is, do you consider yourself a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? I <laughs> uh, should have prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> no right or wrong answer. Everyone has such a different answer to this question. Um, I know, so I know, the, I know the traditional argument in that can we reclaim the feminist term, right, yeah. uh, as conservative women, whether or not that's possible. Um, it depends. So I guess to me, feminism means empowering women. Um, and, and obviously what the, the way the feminist movement has chosen to empower women, I think, actually does the exact opposite. Uh, so my, my answer to that is, no, I'm not what we would currently define as a feminist. Yeah. Um, I would be the opposite of a, <laughs> a feminist. 
<laughs> I hope that answers your question. It I can come does. back with a more prepared no, one. That's <laughs> you can have perfect. That is perfect. One. <laughs> I love it. Drew Trump, thank you so much, everyone. Be sure to check out the Well Said podcast and as well as your website. Give us that website yes, name. Speechfirst.org. Perfect. Really easy. Amazing. Thank you <laughs> Thanks so much. So much. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join Lauren and I on Thursday for a brand new edition. In the meantime, if you have never subscribed to the show, do it. Do it right now. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you get your podcast. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. We'll see you Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.